So as we move into uh, week two of this series, we've called The Heart of New Life, where we're looking at different relationships that Jesus had in his life. These different relationships were through his encounters with other people, there was the opportunity for them to experience new life, for him to see new life birthing out of these people from which he was in relationship. And from that, I'm hoping that we as a congregation can also see how we ourselves can experience new life in our relationships, how, how we can be agents of new life in the relationships we have with other people, but also have eyes to begin to see these stories all around us. Last week, we started talking about Jesus and his heavenly father. That relationship was the foundational, the most enduring relationship from which all new life flows. And now this week, we're going to talk about Jesus' relationship with his disciples. Those 12 men with whom he gathered around him to navigate life together. Now, I think we can all agree with, with the next statement I'm going to say. And it's this. Is that life is better, that, that it's better to navigate life in community rather than on a solo mission. Now, community gets defined differently for different people. We have different needs for community. But I think as a general understanding, we would all agree that it's better to navigate life in community rather than on a solo mission. You can just look at the world around us. Maybe if you pause and sort of look back on some of your own personal experiences and stories, you'll see that, that this is true, that people tend to lean towards community in their interactions and how they live their lives. Where do you see this? happening? Where, where do you see an experienced community in your life? I'm sure we could all come up with a, a whole long list of examples of that. I, I was thinking about this a couple days ago when, uh, you know, we got the NHL season starting soon and, and the NFL season is happening again. And, and we see community happening there, not just on the teams, not just amongst the teammates, but, but think of the thousands of people, even the millions of people who, who watch these sports on TV, who buy a ticket to go to a game, who, who attend uh, events and lounges and bars and homes and all sorts of places to cheer on that team. And as they do so, they tend to adorn specific colors and, and they have certain logos that they put on themselves. Why? Because it makes them a part of a community, a community that, that is surrounded around that particular team. Uh, we see this also, I was looking at uh, my son the other day with the video games that he plays, where you can play video games by yourself, but that's so 1990s, back to do that. Nowadays, it's all online, these, these massive multiplayer online games that are happening. And so Josh will be in his bedroom playing like a racing game and he'll be on, he'll be racing a, a sports car or, or, a, or an indie car around a track with a whole bunch of other drivers and I'll say, who are you playing with? They go, oh, there's this guy from Canada, there's a guy from the States, but there's also like a guy from Romania and a guy from Australia, people around the world racing cars on the same track at the same time. It's an online community that is taking place even in the world of video games. Now, I personally am thankful for the community that happens within a family, in particular within a marriage, as we can navigate life together. And it's helpful for me in very practical situations because Nadine will agree that I am notorious for navigating my special shortcuts as we drive the streets of Edmonton and other cities that we are less familiar to. You see, I'm one of those guys that I need a navigator. I won't admit it all the time, but I need a navigator because I'm often saying, I know where I am. I, I'll just get us there. It's fine. I know where we're going. 
Or have you, have you ever tried this exit before? That, that's one of my new favorite ones as new roads pop up here in West Edmonton. It, but Nadine is so patient. She'll say, no, why I haven't tried that exit before. Why don't you show it to me, dear? <laughs> or just to let you know your turn's coming up in a few. Oh, hey, uh, you missed your turn again <laughs> as we head off into other parts of the city. But over the past 25 years that we've been together, we've navigated more significant paths as well. Not just the roads of cities and on vacations, but, but we've navigated the roads of careers, of, of moving from one city to the next. The, navigated the roads of, of family challenges and losses, of, of financial realities. We've navigated the roads of having arguments and needing to, to find a way towards forgiveness. These are things that we navigate in community as well. You see, the point I want you to take away from today is that life was never meant to be navigated in isolation. See, part of the human condition is that we, we have this sense, this need to be in community. Now, that, that shows up in various levels for different people. Some people need large community. They need a lot of people. They have lots and lots of friends. Others, they're happy with just one or two really, really good friends. But in both cases, it's community. And I want to suggest to you today that the Christian life in particular was designed to be navigated in community. And so as you look at Jesus' relationships that led to new life, one of the most well-known communities that he had around him was with this band of 12 men who were more than just traveling buddies. These were his life group that Jesus navigated life with. Now, there's many reasons that Jesus selected to have a small group of people with him, but the most basic level is that it was part of his nature. So I introduced last week this idea that Jesus has this dual nature, that, there's, that he was fully God and fully man. And as we're going to unpack today, both of these natures were defined by community. And both of these natures give us examples of how we are to navigate life in community as followers of Jesus Christ. So, one of the core tenets of the Christian faith One of the core tenets of the Christian faith is this belief in a triune Godhead, which we refer to as, as the Trinity. Now, admittedly, this is a complex doctrine. It's one that has been held and defended throughout church history, however. This, this idea that the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, are not three individual gods, that there are not three phases of God's revelation, but these are three unique persons eternally existing in perfect harmony and unity, existing in perfect community with one another within themselves. And we see expressions and revelations of this throughout Scripture. One of the very first ones we see is at the very beginning of the Bible in even in the account of creation where, very briefly, we see throughout Genesis 1, the language used there is that the Father God, the Father God is sort of supervising over all that's happening and at his command, all things are made. Genesis 1 verse 2, it talks about how the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then John in the New Testament opens his gospel, his account of Jesus' life by speaking and referring back to the time of creation and saying, in the beginning was the Word, references Jesus, and, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made. 
So all persons of the Trinity are involved in that moment. But that, that's really important for our purpose today because in Genesis chapter 126, when we get to that particular verse, we start to see that this plurality is described as acting as a singularity, as one in this oneness, in this community. And here's what it says in, in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And we see in that particular verse, we see three references to the plurality. This idea that let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And as they're acting in this sense of perfect harmony and unity as the Godhead. Now, you can't understand the true nature of God without accepting that he's not simply an individual. He's, in every sense of the word, a group, a community within himself. You see, God is not just interested in community. He's not just obsessed with this concept of community. He rightly is understood as being community. And as in the actions of Genesis 1.26 declares to us, we are created in that image. We are created in that likeness of God. And from the very beginning of time, we have seen this lived out as people come to gather together in communities. Historically speaking, we know that people gather in groups. They, they gather in towns. That's the way it has always been throughout history in the study of anthropology. And they do this around a sense of shared values and, and, and support of one another. They do it for protection. You see, they didn't discover that life was just better in community. They discovered that life was safer and more productive in community. And then within our family units that we even see today, one of the key markers of adulthood is people getting married, often leading to children being added to the family. This is a common yearning as people seek out a partner with whom to navigate life with. Those are positive examples of community that we see in the world around us that are enduring throughout time. But there's also these negative examples. Consider, for example, we know the absence that a person feels, an absence from community that is detrimental to a person when they are incarcerated. A person who is put into prison. And in studies, extensive studies have been done on this, that, that there's a sense of pain that they experience on being kept away from loved ones. But then that's taken even a step further with while a person is in prison, they may find themselves in solitary confinement. And studies have been done into that too to see how that sort of a treatment of a person actually leads to an increased amount of suffering. It, it kills a person's spirit. It actually can lead and contribute to, to mental illness within an individual who spends too much time in isolation. There's an interview that happened with the, the late... Um, U.S. Senator John McCain, who many of you would know was a POW during the Vietnam War, who was a prisoner. And for part of his imprisonment in Vietnam, he was put in solitary confinement. And in an interview, he was describing this, and he talks about how it was this horrible, brutal separation that he endured for a long period of time. But then the interesting thing is this. He goes on to talk about how when he was reunited with a fellow prisoner who he didn't even know, wasn't part of his company, just somebody who happened to be in the same prison camp. They are reunited, and he says there was this overwhelming compulsion to talk nonstop. Just this idea that I was face-to-face -face with somebody. He says we ran our mouths ceaselessly for four days. Neither one listening to the other person. 
It wasn't like a back and forth dialogue. It was just two people ceaselessly running their mouths for four days, not listening to each other, just simply enraptured with the sound of our collective voices. You see, there's something inherently within all of us that longs for community. It's like we have this community gene that has been brought into us. I think the origin of that finds itself in the Godhead who declared, let us create mankind in our image. It's where it finds its source. And so since God lives and works in community and humanity is created in his image, all people therefore are to navigate life in community. We see this. We see this, therefore, in Jesus' other nature as being fully man, because he was subject to this as well within his humanness. Consider his entire public ministry, for example. We see right from the time that he entered public ministry, he was living in community of some sort at all times. You see, right from the very earliest events, everywhere Jesus went, he drew crowds. Everywhere he went, it's heard that he was in the area. People would leave their cities. They'd leave their towns to come to be around him. He drew crowds everywhere he went. And as early as in like Mark chapter 3, for example, we see this happening. In the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 3, opens up with Jesus in, a, in the temple. And there's a man with a shriveled hand there. And, and Jesus heals him of that shriveled hand. And he also says to him, though, your, your sins are forgiven, which, which just brings huge conflict between him and the Pharisees which is another form of community between Jesus and the Pharisees with negative results usually, but they are in a form of community as well. And they react against this comment. And so Jesus leaves the situation. And we pick up that story in verse 7 as he leaves the situation. And it says this. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake to a large cra- and a large crowd from Galilee followed. Because, the crowd, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep people away from crowding in on him. For he had healed many so that those with disease were pushing forward towards to touch him. This would become a regular part of Jesus' life as he's constantly surrounded by people. Now he loved these people. He wanted to help them. He, He wanted to encourage them. But we'll see in how he responds to them, he did not equate that with the community that he was craving within himself. You see, having a lot of people around us is one form of community. That's that's one form of community, to have a lot of people around us. But it's not the most meaningful definition of community. We see this within the church world. For example, we come together on a Sunday morning, we will gather in a sanctuary as a community, as a corporate body, as as a community here to to worship, to sing, to, to learn. But that's not the full expression. There's limitations to that form of community. As we meet in the sanctuary or perhaps in the foyer, as we, as we share around a potluck, that's all good. Those are good things to do in community. But there's words that are not associated with those moments, like words like intimate, like personal, words like deep. You see, those are words that align with community as well, but more of a community that takes place in a living room, more so than an auditorium. So there's different expressions of community that we see. And and Jesus would demonstrate this because he had the corporate community. He had people around him at all times, but at times he needed community to get small. 
And as we keep reading in chapter 3, after he has all these crowds gathered around him, pushing in against him, he tells the disciples, get a boat ready so I can kind of have some space a little bit because I love them, I care about them, I want to meet these needs, but, but, but this isn't what my craving is being met by. And we keep reading just a couple of verses later in verse 13, where it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside after that, and he called to him those he wanted. And they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him. You see, he had these massive crowds gathered around him. Dozens chose to follow him, but he selected 12 to be with him. He selected 12 to be with him. And they joined him <clears throat> on a three-and-a-half-year life-transforming journey where they experienced new life within themselves. They saw new life happen in other people. And they themselves were agents of that in their own relationships that were starting to foster. So these, are, these are ordinary guys that Jesus tapped on the shoulder one day and were called to extraordinary results. As Jesus said, follow me and I will send you out no longer to be fishers of fish, but to be fishers of people. These were men who knew God, but now they were experiencing God. As Jesus was revealing the scriptures to them and, and teaching them the heart of the laws that they already knew. And they were growing in faith. They were growing in knowledge. They were growing in conviction so that they could be used powerfully for God as this new life within them grew up. And they didn't just receive through this relationship. They gave too. Because they are present for Jesus in these times of, of need that existed in his life. Not always to the extent that he had hoped for, but, but they were the ones that he called to be with him and were there to minister to him as companions, as friends, as those who were supporting him in difficult times. And during this journey, they saw incredible examples of new life. As, as the sick were healed, as those who were in bondage to sin were set free, as those who were shunned by the rest of society were loved and welcomed into community with them. And then in the end, they were empowered to go as ambassadors of the kingdom of God to all people, that they might change some lives, that they might change a city. And as we know throughout the history of the church, they change entire empires and even the world that we live in today. See, Jesus spent most of his time navigating life and doing ministry with this little band of brothers. He trained them. He mentored them. He empowered them to go out and meet the needs of the world. Eugene Peterson explained it this way. He said, Jesus invested 90% of his time in 12 Jewish men so that they could go out and reach the whole world. 90% of his time with 12 men who there went out and changed the world. You see, Jesus existed for all time in community. And he gathered a few to be with him on his time on earth. It was in his very nature to do so. And as image bearers, it's in our nature as well. So much so that Jesus' final prayer, actually, Jesus' final prayer was that we would continue in this. We read this in John 17. When Jesus is nearing the end of his time with his followers, with his band of brothers, and, and those that he loved and ministered to. There's really hours left before he'll be arrested and, and taken away and killed. And it's often said that a person's dying words reveal their deepest concerns, their, their most earnest wishes for those that they're leaving behind. And that's what we find in John 17. And beginning in verse 6 of that passage, with, with Jesus' disciples present to hear as he, as he prays to the Father, that relationship we talked about last week, 
he, he recounts how, how these men who were gathered there with him were a gift from the Father. And how they had been experiencing new life through him as, as they experienced his teachings. They accepted his teachings. They, they had to come to declare him as the Messiah. And they believed in him and the change that was happening within them and those around them. And this was the basis of the unity that they had come to know. There's that Jesus at the center and all the teachings and the examples and the experiences and, and the change that they experienced within themselves and those around them. That was the unity that they had known. But, but Jesus was now leaving and so as Jesus is leaving, he doesn't want to be the linchpin taken out as they didn't scatter. And so he prays for them this in verse 11. In verse 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still going to remain in the world. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. First of all, he prays for protection for them that they wouldn't scatter, that the world that would not like their message or the messenger, that, that the world would not cause them to scatter, that, that Jesus' presence that, that brought them together, unified them, that, that that wouldn't cause them to scatter because, because the Father, through the Spirit, would still be present with them and that through his supernatural power and presence, they would remain unified. But, but secondly, we see this, and, and don't miss this. You see, this unity in this community they had was more than just having a name on a roster. It was about this deep spiritual connection. It, it wasn't just about them being friends with, with shared values who would sit together for a meal on occasion and smile when they passed each other in a field or, or hang out on Friday nights. That, that, wasn't the ba- that, that wasn't the definition of what they experienced. See, Jesus is saying here, Father, Allow them to continue in this Trinity-level closeness that they've experienced. He says, Father, as you and I are one, with that type, with that level of oneness, may they continue to go forward with that Trinity-level of closeness. The fact that Jesus would even pray this should blow our minds. That the unity that he experienced with the Father is where the bar is set, is what his prayer is, what the objective he sets for us, that we would experience that level, the deep spiritual connectedness, where we are still individuals, but we are individuals who are brought together as a holistic, perfect, harmonious community who is navigating life together, supporting, encouraging, completing as we go about the mission we have in this world. That was the goal Jesus set for us, this trinity level oneness for those men who were gathered in that room as he was praying these final things but he didn't stop there see we keep reading to the third part of Jesus' prayer we get to verse 20 and in verse 20 Jesus takes it a step further because he looks to you and he looks to me and he goes my prayer is not just for the men who are gathered in this room with me Lord I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message looking throughout church history to this very day as we sit in this place as those who have believed because of their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is praying for all people, the real, live, flawed followers, just like all of us. Not perfect people who have it all worked out, who, who don't have any challenges or issues in their lives. Real, live, flawed followers like all of us. 
that we would be in community so that we could know, grow, and show God's love with the world around us. Now, there's many in today's world who emphasize individualism, who have more of a sense of self-reliance. We said even in the church age. But as I, I hope you've seen through what I've shared with you today, not only is this contrary to our nature, it's also contrary to the wishes of Jesus for his people. Now, it's a huge task to connect a whole church, yet alone to have them experience community to the level that Jesus was describing here. But what we're talking about is the sense of discipleship, that this call to pursue Christ-likeness that can be done in community, that as he exemplified and called us to, is to be done in community. And even <clears throat> with community as part of our nature, I, I think we all know examples of what it's like to have this tendency to resist it. To go, well, you know, that, that's an optional thing. Like, they do it in community. It's an optional thing, right? I've got my podcast I can just sit and listen to with my earbuds in. I, I've got the, my Bible I can read on my own. I've, I've got TV shows I can watch. I've got my personal prayer life. Like this whole community thing is optional, right? That's existed throughout, throughout church history. You see, the disciples won out and, and they followed Jesus' wishes. Just a few weeks after this was done, we see in the book of Acts and beyond the, the growth of the church as it takes root in people's lives and homes and cities and, and throughout empires. Christian communities spread throughout the known world within one generation. But at the end of that generation, though, we find this. We, we find a leader of, of probably multiple churches writing to the, those that he had established in these towns in the book of Hebrews, and he is pleading with them. He's reminding them within one generation. He's saying, let's, not, let's consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are already in the habit of doing. But it said, let's encourage one another, and all the more as the day approaches. Within one generation, the church leaders are already pleading with people to continue to grow, to know, and to show God's love and community. And see, that best happens in a life group. I believe that best happens in a life group. That's where church gets small, where corporate gets personal. You see, a life group here at West Meadows is a place where you can accept, be accepted into a healthy spiritual family, where you can know other people and they can know you. Where if you have a good week, you can show up with those people on email or in someone's living room and you can laugh, you can share, you can celebrate the highlights of that week or that month together. It's also a place where if you have a rough time, you never have to wonder, who can I count on? Because your group is there for you. I've shared in the past a story of a, friends of ours who are part of a life group and, and their house caught on fire at three in the morning. And as they grabbed a few items and they grabbed their baby and they, they ran outside to the street as their house and their neighbor's houses were emblazed in flames, they did not have to think very long of who is our 3 a.m. family because they were in a life group and they knew a few blocks away was somebody that they were in community with. And sure enough, the phone was answered, the need was answered, and they were brought into that home that very night. Life group is a place where you find your 3 a.m. family. A life group at West Meadows is a place where you can be honest about your spiritual journey. It's a place where you can learn and you can grow that and come to realize that life is better with Jesus. 
But then when there's moments where we have some doubts, maybe there's some questions that plague your heart, there's people who can come alongside you where you can feel the safety to share those things as people come alongside you and journey with you through those darker moments. You see, many people actually leave the church because they have these questions and doubts and don't feel they have a place or freedom to ask them or to share them. A life group is a place where you can do that, where you can find new life through resolving those things and being authentic and honest with people about them. A life group at West Meadows is a place where you can offer encouragement and support for another person, where you can serve and be served. This might be as simple as you go on a summer vacation, you need someone to water your plants or watch your dog. It might be more serious where a marriage is in trouble, where you're going through the death of a loved one, where, where your children are strained from the faith and you need someone to stand with you, to provide a meal or to provide a hug and a listening ear. But this is part of our vision here at West Meadows, is that we would be a place we will be a place where everyone can know, grow, and show God's love in authentic community. And today we've designated as Life Group Sunday. That means two things. Number one, many of our life groups took a break for the summertime, and as of today, they are up, running, and active. My, my group just met on Friday night for the first time this fall, and we are off and running for the year. But I want to encourage you as well that if you are not in a group, that if you're not living and being discipled in that type of a community, to consider how you, your spouse, your family could add that to your journey. You see, there are groups here that are our primary means by which we seek to disciple people. And these groups are where we meet regularly, where we connect authentically, where we study and pray, and where we serve. All of those are important parts of your spiritual journey as you, as you grow into the image of Christ. And all of those are done in community. But how would you do that? A couple things we're going to make available to you today. Number one, there's always the website. If you go to westmeadows.org, you'll see at the very top of the page the word connect. That's what we're talking about, connecting to community. If you click on that, you'll be brought to a page of a list of a whole bunch of different types of groups. And you can just navigate that at home and see what's out there and see what might work for you. From that webpage, you can actually contact leaders directly. The leader of that group, there's a link to email them directly from that page. It's as simple as that. But let's make it even easier for you today. There is a table in the foyer that following the service I'm going to be standing at, right out through these doors right here. I'll have a computer with me. I'll navigate it with you. If there's nothing there that you're quite sure about or you have a few questions to figure out, I've got some wonderful little cards you can just put a bit of information on, and I will come alongside you and help you find a group. Better than that, even if you're not sure what's going to work with some of these different groups, I would love to launch some new groups for some people who are trying to get into new community with one another as well. And so I'll be at the table to help you out with that. And every day going forward, those cards are available. Put some information on them. Let us know how we can come alongside you to help you find a place where you yourself can know, grow, and show God's love in community within this place. I got to tell you, I believe wholeheartedly in life groups. For 20 plus years, I have been in a group, I have led a group, and through those times, I have myself experienced new life through my life group. I have been an agent of new life in my life group, and I have seen others experience that as well through our life groups. They're not only an effective place where you know, grow, and show God's love. I believe it's a place where we can express the very nature in which we've been created as we reflect and share the nature of his love for the world around us.
So consider where you can fit that into your life. And join me in a closing word of prayer. Father God, as we acknowledge today that community is, is something that you are so keenly aware of. Because it's the reality of, of who you are. And who you've made us to be. And so, so Lord, for those who are sitting here who are not currently in a community like that, I, I hope, Lord, today that some of this puts language to that feeling inside of, of what's missing, of what's needed, of, of where is that deeper connection, not just within this particular church, but within the greater body of Christ. That we would see that community with your people is where we can find that and find definition of it. Lord, I pray for us as a church that you'd, you'd help myself and other leaders here to, to be wonderful agents of connection as we help people get into community to continue growing to continue knowing more about you and to continue showing more of you within this place and into the world of which you've called us. Thank you, Lord, you've given a mission such as that to us. May we honor you. May we glorify you in all we are and all we do. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.